you know any men who are clueless about life? I don't think that elicited laughter. Maybe it did. Uh, you know, if you are a lady here today and you agreed to that and shook your head yes to that and are laughing with that and you're sitting next to a man whom you're married to, you can expect conversations following this service. So I'll just forewarn you. You've now got about 45 minutes to, to, to work on your uh, rebuttal to your responses. But, you know, I think there's a lot of clueless men in this world. I think there's a lot of clueless men in this world because for several reasons. I think there's clueless women. There are clueless teenagers. We come into this world clueless. And unless I think we have the right stuff given to us in life, we will remain clueless. Merely because you live years does not mean you live in maturity. Just because you have lived a certain time and lived in certain places and even have a certain education doesn't mean that you have figured out really, some of the complexities of this world and life. There's a lot of reasons why people don't have a clue about life and how to manage life and manage relationships or jobs or even themselves, let alone all the other side things out there. One is they have no model. You know, you just live in a world and if there's no example for you to follow, there's, there's nobody in front of you, there's no mentor-protege relationship, as we spoke of last week, without a model then you're probably not going to have, it's not going to be very easy, I would say, in life to figure some of life out. Another reason is that maybe you had a model, but it was a poor model. That really you have a poor example given to you. And that poor example was maybe inconsistent, was maybe, was maybe very emotional, or, or, or maybe had issues of substance uh, that, that influenced whether or not how they responded and when they responded so poor models, no model, or stereotypical models is another example of why we don't figure out life very easy is because if we don't have a model and if we, and if we, uh, and if we have poor models, then we'll look to, 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 to the stereotype, maybe to Hollywood. And, you know, gone, I'm are sad to say, are the days of Little House on the Prairie and the Waltons. Now we're left with uh, South Park and and Homer Simpson to be our Hollywood uh, models as men. And that's, that's a sad thing that we would be at that state, but that's the stereotype out there. Gone are those, those beautiful examples uh, if you want to look to the stereotypes or to, the, to Hollywood. But, you know, I think that uh, there's a whole lot of men, even if they do kind of can compose themselves and keep their act together, and I want to emphasize the word act, they can keep their act together, then really... There'll be some time in life that whether they go emotionally there or they go literally there, physically there, they can sometimes fall a little bit off the deep end because they've, they've been holding up, propping up their life for so long that now reality is setting in and it all begins to fall apart and crumble apart for them. They begin to wonder. Hollywood made a movie, uh, and I would call it an adult comedy. It's not something you want to go home and watch with the family necessarily. Because there's a whole lot of things that unfold in this movie called, uh, it's called Wild Hog. And, um, and, and you all know what the movie is. These guys are trying to figure out their life, and they're trying to, to, to sort through life. And they're, going, they're talking about real adult issues. And just the opening scenes are hilarious because I can see... In my life, in my world, in my circles of influence, I can see all four of these relationships being lived out. 
um, in different people's life, maybe not to the extreme that Hollywood makes it, but it kind of comes to kind of a culmination. It kind of comes to a head whenever they finally sit down over some beer and they're, they're sorting out life. And why did Tom Peterson die? I believe, maybe, and I think that's implied in the, me- in the message in that movie, is that he died from living a life without adventure, a life without meaning, a life without some sort of substance that, that really motivated him to get out of bed in the morning. I want to challenge you today to say that God wired us I'll say God wired all of us, but He gave an extra wiring to the men that He has called us and made us to live some sort of adventure. Now, we might tame it and domesticate it, try to anyway, and call it an entrepreneurial spirit. But really, there's, I believe, inside of every man, whenever it's put uh, on fire, whenever it's unleashed and able to operate, I think as God intended, that He desires for us men, I'm going to speak to the men today primarily, not that it doesn't apply to the women, but primarily to the men, that God desires that we live an adventurous life. Now, I don't want to stereotype in any way that women aren't called to live an adventurous life or anything like that, but I want to list for you words, and this is not original with me, but list for you words that women gravitate towards, really at their core, would want to have descriptive of their life versus words that are descriptive of a man's life, that a man will gravitate towards. Here's some of the words. Women prefer environments that, that speak of safety, of stability, of harmony, of protection, of comfort, of support preservation. Men prefer environments where risk, change, adventure, competition, daring, and pleasure and expansion describe their life. And that's just really what it is, the difference. And again, not to say that a woman doesn't want adventure, doesn't want risk. I married one of those, okay? My wife loves to jump off bridges. Uh, She actually, when we were in, in Mali, she jumped off 111 perfectly 111 meters down into crocodile-infested waters of a perfectly good bridge called bungee jumping, okay? So she jumps off of this. I am very happy and content on this perfectly good bridge. And so she wants to jump. Now, at the same time, we were talking just this past week, when it comes to the idea of starting a church and moving back and literally living a life risky, a little bit more adventure, she doesn't want that. She would prefer one that's more of stability, one that's more of safety. So at the very core, I think, of a man is that, 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 that adventurous spirit that makes up who he is. This is what John Eldridge said in his book, The Wild at Heart. He says, adventure with all its requisite danger and wilderness is deeply the spiritual longing within the soul of a man. The masculine heart needs a place where nothing is prefabricated modular, non-fat, ziplock, franchised, online, microwavable where there's no deadlines or cell phones committee meetings, where there is room for the soul. It's a beautiful statement to describe an adventurous spirit that's bound up sometimes, never really set free, not allowed to roam inside of a man's heart. Now, how can that be? Now, Eldred is great work there, wild at heart. I don't agree with everything that he says, but he does capture a few things that the heart is sinful, and we've got to realize we've got to control that. That's got to be redeemed. It can't stay in that state. But it doesn't mean we domesticate it like some cat. 
Okay? It means that we actually, in, in, inside of that, that taming of the heart and releasing it of its bondage to sin, that we somehow in that, we still allow the heart of a man to be adventurous. And that's, I think, one of the things that I want us to understand as men over the next couple of weeks, that as we think about this week and as we think about the Man Up Conference, that we really need to understand the adventurous side that needs to be a part of all of us. Because the reality is is that a lot of men look at the church and they look at it as a bunch of wimps. Those that are not in the church, they look at the church as being those who are propped up by crutches. This is what uh, David Morrow said in his book, Why Men Hate Going to Church. He said, men are drawn to churches or Christians with guts. They don't like churches that are wimps, that are full of wimps. They want a challenge. They want to be stretched. They want adventure in their life. If you have your Bibles, be finding the book of 1 Peter. Because if there's an example of adventure and courage that's required, it's absolutely the time in which Peter is writing. Peter's writing this book, and as he writes the book, it's, it's a letter, excuse me, at this time it's still in letter form, and he's writing this letter. He's writing it to the dispersion, as it says in the earlier verses. To the dispersion. Now what's that? The dispersion are the Christians who have been scattered abroad. They've been scattered all over the place because of the persecution of the church. Four different times throughout the book of 1 Peter, he talks about the persecution that the church is under. So, listen, it was not an optional thing. I want the adventurous Christian life or I want the non-adventurous Christian life. I want the Barney, Dora, Explorer kind of Christian life or I want to live on the wild side kind of Christian life. When you became a Christian first century version, it was, do I want to die or do I want to live? Literally, you were putting your life on the line. And so here Peter is writing this, this, this letter, and it's so clear. You really need to read the whole thing through. We're not going to do it justice in, in one message, let alone an entire series. But as you look at this, this first Peter passage, I want you to understand where he's coming from. He writes in the very first verses just about the beauty of God's grace and the beauty of a new relationship with him. He even uses the same phrase that Jesus used with Nicodemus when he talks about being born again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. He he drew a line in the sand to this religious leader, Nicodemus, and he said that. Well, Peter carries on with the vernacular. He uses right on with that word and he talks about being born again and when you're born again, what that looks like and the mercy and the grace of God that you experience. But what does it leave you? Where does it leave you? Does it tame your heart into this little fuzzy, buzzy bear kind of thing that you kind of prop up in the living room? Not at all. In fact, what he does is he ends up turning it uh, 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 and he says, okay, now that you have this relationship with God, what are the results of that relationship with God? And the very first word that he uses when he's starting to turn the tide on, okay, you've had this relationship with God, you've been born again, you've experienced His grace and mercy. Now, therefore, now anytime you see in Scripture the word therefore, you need to ask wherefore, therefore is therefore. Does that make sense? He's joining some thoughts. Therefore, because of everything that I just talked about, about being born again, therefore, this is the result. And that's what we're going to look at, what he challenges them now that you have been born again. Now what's this supposed to look like for you? And I think that's the challenge for us today is as as we sit here and we talk about 
Peter writing to the persecuted, dispersed church, as we think about men who struggle with life and, and priorities and how they're going to establish themselves, you know, we need to understand what is Peter actually calling men to live like? Men, women, boys, and girls to live like. Look at this passage with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 is where we'll pick up. Therefore, prepare your mind. Therefore, there's the word. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Underscore the word action. Keep sober in spirit. Underscore the word sober. Fix, fix underscore the word fix, your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Would you pray with me today? Father, we ask that you would you would draw us into your presence by your presence and by the truth of your word and that as we examine the life of a real man of God, what does that look like? What does that mean? I would pray that, Lord, you would open our eyes, that that we would see past the stereotypical models that's on television or some pop star or whatever. That we would get past the poor examples that maybe we had in life or the no example that that we longed for and we wished that we had had. Father, we would look deeper into a timeless book into an infallible Word that gives us a course to take. Not to weaken us, not to break us down, where we become like milk toast, Lord. But Father, where we are strong and mighty, with a mighty God in front of us, And that we would live as Peter challenges us to live. Lord, open our hearts that we might see that today. Lord, we thank You for this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. I quoted you that statement that men prefer churches and Christians with guts. That's the idea there that there's an adventurous spirit, there's a courageous spirit about them. There's some determination of them. Of them. They're, they're about going places and becoming something. And I think that that's really what we need to zero in on. And what is it then that we are to become and look like and smell like and taste like in this world of confusion and poor models? But I think that there are at least three things that he, I had you underline there that he challenges us there. Three needs that a wild man's adventure cries out for. Jot them down real quickly. One is that every man needs to actively live with adventure. Actively live with adventure. Prepare your minds for action. Now, when you're 20 years old and you're invincible, 18, 19, 20 years old and thereabouts, you're invincible. 
the idea of adventure and extreme sports is mountain climbing and rappelling or something like that. And then you grow up a little bit and have a family and get married and have some children. And your idea of adventure is to take your children on a hike to the devil's den. And that's great and good and has a place. And, and so you're teaching your children about nature. And then you get a little older and, and hiking is no longer what it used to be. And maybe you can't do it anymore or, or whatever the case may be. So then you go out and you buy leather. And you, uh, you put on leather and you buy this expensive thing here. You polish it up and you, you call this your new adventure. Now maybe if it's not this, maybe it's camouflage. You like mossy oak. You like your, your different patterns. You pick out patterns like women pick out shoes. I mean, you like your style, your camo, and however it comes together for you and the ensemble that you have, like the ducks and the deer really care. But you, you, you certainly want to look a certain way in a certain part in that. That's the adventurous spirit that's inside of us. Life is meant to be lived with adventure. I really believe so. And faith is meant to be lived with adventure. See, easy faith, milk toast faith, is the one that sits on the sidelines critiquing everybody on the field. I can't get the quote cor- correct, but you know what a football Sunday afternoon is. It's 70,000 screaming fans in the stands yelling at 24, 22 players on the field that are in desperate need of rest while those that are in the stands are in desperate need of exercise. Well, many times it's the peoples that are in the seats that are, that are looking and evaluating, critiquing, but yet we have children over here who need to be taught. We have unbelieving friends that need a faith and need somebody with the faith to help pass on their faith to them. And see, what Peter does, he says, if you're really born again, I want you to prepare your minds not for learning. That's good. It has its place. He says, prepare your mind for action. See, actively lived out faith is the kind of faith that is the real kind of faith that every man, woman, child needs to live. The problem is, is that when you reach the home life, the man may be tremendously articulate and tremendously driven and very much an entrepreneurial in spirit, but many times he falls short of being the man, an active, adventurous man in the home and in faith. This is what A.W. Coase said in his Passive Men and Wild Women. He says, over the last few years, I've seen in my office an increasing number of couples who share a common denominator. The man is active, articulate, energetic, usually successful in work, but he is inactive, inarticulate, lethargic, and withdrawn at home. In his relationship with his wife, he is passive. And in his, in his passivity drives her crazy. In the face of his retreat, she goes wild. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for women who feel that way, but I just wish the man of the house would be a man in the house. A man of the house would be a man of faith. And he would be the one who would say at dinner time, let's pray. He would be the one who says whenever there's a mission trip, hey, let's take our family and let's go and let's explore the world for Christ. See, passivity is the opposite of activity. Passivity and complacency, I'll promise you, is not what it looks like when you man up. Passivity and complacency are the polar opposite 
of what it really means to man up and to be a man and to live out an active faith. Peter calls us to action here. And again, I had you underscore that word. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Now, this is not beat up on the man day. This is the call the man up day. So if you feel beaten up, please don't. I'm a man too. I'm with you. Nobody feels, nobody wants to be nagged. All right. I'm not nagging you. I'm challenging you. And you just want to have man on man, man with man challenging next week, then come, come to our man up weekend. Barna released a survey this past Mother's Day showing that a list of characteristics or qualities of spiritual, uh, spirituality in the home surveyed 10,000 adults. Pretty, pretty extensive survey. That lists 12 elements of what it meant to live out your faith in the home. Out of 10,000 people, now listen, there's 12 of them. Who is more in your house of these 12 qualities? Your mother or your father? 11 out of 12, the woman won out. And the, the other one was a tie. So the man didn't even get a one. The challenge to us today, guys, is to man up. And to actively live out a faith that is so contagious and so real, it literally draws in the rest of the family and doesn't repel them, draws them. Models for them. If, if you think about Jesus' life and ministry, when the children would come around and the people would push him away, he would say, bring the children to me. I love the children. He would sit the children on his lap and he would love them and bless them. Absolutely, Jesus had a place in his heart for children. But when you look at the strategy of his ministry, I have, to, I have to look at it and say that his strategy was not centered around children's ministry. Great place, needs to be there, has to be high quality. Yes, yes, yes. Whenever you talk about women and Jesus and women, then, I mean, Jesus would talk to women when other people were ready to throw stones at them. Jesus would accept and embrace women that were far less, uh, I guess, of the uh, upper crust of society you might say. Jesus involved His ministry and He included women in His ministry. There's no doubt about it. But when it comes down to the real core and you boil it all off the bone, who was it that He spent most of His time with? It was 12 men. Misfit, incapable, sometimes inarticulate. But yet men that He knew that could ultimately turn this world upside down for Christ and would be willing to give their life. I'm telling you, the secret to life and faith is men living actively their faith. And again, I can't say enough how the ripple effect of a, of a man living out the faith is absolutely an imperative. Studies have shown again that when a mother comes to faith in Christ, the rest of the family that follows is about 17% of the time. That's pretty good. But when a father is the first one to become a believer, 93% of the family will follow right in suit. What's this saying? Men, we've got to actively man up and live out our faith if we really expect our families to become what we would want them to become and what God would want them to become. 
So the first thing that we've got to understand if we're going to live out our faith and the needs of every adventure is live actively your faith. Listen, I'll tell you right now, if your concept of Christianity is weak and milk toast, you don't have an accurate picture. It is everything about an adventure. We stopped calling mission trips mission trips, and we call them adventure mission trips because they are adventures. You lead your family on something like that, or you lead your family to give like nobody else. You lead your family to serve like no one else. That's courageous. Everybody else can go the other ways. Here's the second. Here's the second reality or the second need of every man is sobriety as you live the adventure. Sobriety as you live the adventure. Now, when you talk about adventure, we sometimes think, think about, oh, this is some lawless, hedonistic kind of approach. This is a do-what-feels-good kind of approach. Not at all. In fact, living the adventure, if you go repelling, if I go repelling with you, I guarantee you, I want you to know what you're going to do, how we're going to do it, and I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to operate within your guidelines, if you know what you're talking about. All right? If you get, if you got the confidence and the surety, if we go repel, I'm with you, and I'm doing exactly what you do, how you do it, and how you tell me to do it. What am I doing? I'm living within some kind of parameters out there because I can be a wild man on the side of the hill, but I can be a dead man at the bottom of it. I want to live an adventure, but I want to do it with sobriety. I quoted G.K. Chesterton last week. I love him. He's hard to read, but. But he has good little nuggets. This is one of them that I think is worthy of writing down. Never remove a fence until you know why it was erected in the first place. I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. If there's a fence up, it's probably there for a reason. Think about it. And if we don't, if we don't learn to live with sobriety as men, that, then we will find ourselves living with regrets and excuses. Can I say it to you again? If we don't learn to live with sobriety, we will, learn, we will end up living with regrets and excuses. And that's no fun. To sit there and look at your life when you turn 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever period you turn in your life and say, gosh, I wish I hadn't have done that. Sociologist George Gilder, in his book Sexual Suicide, he makes it quite clear that the single man as a class are often a threat to society. Now, these are not his words. These are not my words. They're his words, and I'm just reading them to you. But just listen to this. He says, because a single man without any kind of sense of sobriety about them, this is what we get in our world. Men commit over 90% of the major crimes of violence, 100% of the rapes, 95% of burglaries. They comprise 94% of all um, drunken drivers, 70% of suicides, 91% of uh, offenders against family and children. Single men comprise between 80 to 90% of most of the categories of social pathology. Single men are also less responsible about their bills, driving, and their personal conduct. Together with the disintegration of the family, they constitute the leading social problem. That's a scary statement. 
But I think it's one of those that should wake us up as men and guys and testosterone-filled individuals is that if we don't learn to live this adventurous life with some sobriety about us, with some, some alertness about us, then we can end up being a mess and living with regrets and excuses. Now, this is just my own personal list, but I think it's very true that these three disciplines that I'm about to give you, they're non-negotiables for men who man up. Every man needs to have these three under control and fully within control of their life. Number one, it's the mind. Control where your mind goes. Again, in Archibald Hart's book, The Sexual Man, he quotes from Susan Bacchus who said that the average man has eight sexual fantasies per hour. Now that could be simply somebody walking by. That could be a television commercial. That could be a television program that stimulates that. That could be anywhere. It can even happen in church, God forbid. But it can't. And if I don't learn to control my mind and wrestle the thoughts of my mind and channel my mind, then my mind will go places that it will only lead me to destruction, which is excuses and regrets. Here's a couple of verses for you. Jot them down. 2 Corinthians 10.25 Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now think about that for a moment. That's a beautiful verse. But that literally means that I'm actually going to make sure not only that my conduct, my words and my attitude are in line with God, but I'm actually going to make sure that even the thoughts of my life are in line with God. I said something to Lori the other day, and she did this kind of thing, and, and, uh, and I can't believe you said that. I know you all would not believe me, me, me being like that, but I said it. And, uh, and, and I, I told her this. I said, well, I was thinking it. Why can't I say it? And, and then I realized this verse right there. Just because I'm thinking it doesn't give me the right to say it. And just because I say it doesn't mean I should have the right to think it. I need to take captive every thought and bring even my thoughts to an obedience to Christ. There are other verses. Philippians 4.8 says, Think about the things that are true, honorable, right, pure, beautiful, and respected. Control your mind. The second thing, guys, we've got to get under control are our attitudes. Sometimes we oversell ourselves to ourselves. Sometimes we think we're stronger than we think we are. Sometimes we think we're better than we think we are. Sometimes we read our own press headlines and believe them. Sometimes we remember back when we were a football stud and we still think we're a football stud. Sometimes we oversell ourselves. doesn't mean that we all need to have a poor self-image. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that we need to understand that I have a proclivity to sin. In fact, I want us to have a confession time right now. All right? This is the first step in our seven-step program. Uh, but I want us to say, I have a proclivity to sin. Men, you say it first. Ready? I have a proclivity to sin. If you don't know what the word proclivity means, it means I have a very nature. It's natural. All right? I want you to say it together. I didn't hear it very strongly, so I don't think some of y'all are believing it. So say it again, but this time I want you to say it from the depths of your voices and say it that I mean it, okay? I have a proclivity to sin. Women, you say it now. It's just a nature, a part of us. And I've got to realize that I am very much prone. Romans 12, 3 is for those who don't quite understand that and believe that. It says, do not think of yourself more highly than you should. 
be warned. Because your attitude may elevate yourself a little higher than you should. That may, you may be saying this, hey, listen, I don't have a problem with that, fill in the blank. I don't use that, even though I know that God would not like me using that. I'm a strong man. I've had this Bible study given to me, and I've read this verse, and, I've, and, I, and, I, and I'm a friend of the preacher. And so, therefore, I won't do that. Here's a verse for you. 1 Corinthians 10:12. Those who think you are standing firm had better be careful that you do not fall. See, it's whenever we think we're standing, it's the attitude that I'm invincible that will cause us to fall and stumble. Guys, beware of your attitudes. Beware of your mind. And here's, the, here's, a, here's one, and it's a personal confession. Beware of your balance. How do you balance your life? You're looking at one of the most out-of-balanced men right here. And I realized that this week as I put this together because the balancing act is so difficult between work and school and children and, and, and wife and and then family activities, and then extracurricular commitments. and We get all these things in our life, and there's no way on a good day that we could fit everything in there. But somehow we keep putting it on there. And we don't prioritize, and we don't take on as we're putting on, and take off as we're putting on. and We just, we just wrestle with this, this whole balancing act, and therefore we extend ourselves. And when we extend ourselves, we find ourselves far more vulnerable to other temptations out there. We find ourselves a lot more irritable to the family around us. Beware of the balancing act. It comes back to sobriety. He tells us to keep yourself sober. What are you intoxicated with? Is it work? What are you intoxicated with? Is it stuff? What are you intoxicated with that literally is causing you no longer to look at life and to live the adventure with sobriety? What are you intoxicated with? Think about your life. Think about how you're living it out. The third thing that we can't miss. The third thing that every man needs is not only to actively live out the adventure and to live it with sobriety, but the third thing is to fix your focus to fulfill the adventure. To fix the focus. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm about. Here's what it says again in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. I had you underscore the word action. Keep sober in spirit. I underscore the word sober. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope. Have an absolute, solid, rock-solid, unwavering, unflimsy kind of faith and commitment. But I'm afraid that so many of us just waver and flop around and chase after different things. Bob Bill, who I respect a lot, is a life coach and a business coach, and he uh, has his work spans 150 different countries. But he makes the statement, and I'll try to quote it exactly here. He makes the statement that if you want to do anything in your life significant, you must do it for 30 years. Wow. Anything in your life significant, you must do it for 30 years. That makes sense. It's the hills and the valleys and the ups and the downs and the living through the good times and the bad times. It's not just jumping from job to job and thing to thing. You know what? I'll say this. If you want to do anything significant in the faith, 
do it for 30 years. Serve him for 30 years. Pray for 30 years. Read the word for 30 years. Have the right attitude for 30 years. Just let, let fix it out there. Don't be the floppy, wishy-washy kind of faith. Have a fixed hope. On who? On the revelation of Jesus Christ. Upon Him. One of these unwavering kind of not flimsy, not floppy. See, the challenges for us is our theme verse that we'll have for our Man Up conference. is to be strong and to show yourself a man. Prove to this world you are a man. What does that look like? Actively living the adventure with sobriety and with a very fixed focus on Christ. Would you pray with me? My challenge to all of us, myself included, is not to be on the sidelines in passivity and complacency, but to be in the adventure, to live in the adventure that God's calling us to live. Maybe a part of the adventure today for some of you men in this room might be literally taking your faith far more serious than than you've ever taken it. I'll challenge you to go so far as if there's any man in this room that has not made the bold move of following Christ, do it right now. What does that look like? You meet me in a few moments at the coffee shop. We'll talk about it. As soon as I walk off this stage, you go with me. Those who are being baptized, when I walk off this stage, you go with me to the back. Because I'll also challenge you to maybe even consider being baptized today if you give your life to following Christ today. Don't follow Christ. I mean, don't get baptized thinking that is my following Christ. No, that's merely the statement of something that you've made a commitment in your heart. Say, I don't have a change of clothes. Go home wet. Your car needs a cleaning. But I want to pray for anybody in this room who would, who would say in their heart and life that I need to be far more in the game, in the adventure, quit sitting on the sidelines, watching it. Lord Jesus, you're beautiful, wonderful. We love you. We adore you. And I would pray that you would just awaken every man, woman, and child in this room. That they would live the adventure with sobriety. They would live the adventure with a very firmly fixed faith, fixed on you, longing for you, not wavering and chasing, not hopping from church to church, faith to faith, in with God out. Lord, today may it be a solid man up, woman up kind of commitment. Your soul out for you. Lord, we bless you and we thank you for these moments.